Well, I hope everyone's doing well today. I know not everyone was able to be here with us last week, um, so I will try my best to um, quickly kind of recap, but um, I think you'll find yourself easily be able to keep track since we're talking about something that's so prevalent uh, in all of our lives. All right, I'm going to try one more time. I think all that's happening is this cord is wrapped in a way where it's not connecting properly. So, all right, otherwise, you'll just have to imagine what I'm going to have up here. All right, well, let's pray, and uh, then we'll get started. Maybe, Nathan, I might have you come fiddle around after while I do my introduction, if you don't mind that. All right, let's pray, and then we'll get started. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to study this important topic. I pray that you would help us all in our homes to uh, be vigilant and recognize our own uh, weak points and failures. And also, that you would help us to recognize the opportunities that this new technology that is around us and ever-present in our lives offers for the gospel. Uh, how many of us um, started hearing truth through means that are provided um, that we're talking about today? Um, you have, uh, you, your, your word, your truth is evergreen, and each new advancement, each new change in our society offers yet more opportunities for us to use that to glorify you. And I pray you'd help us to capitalize on those, and yet also to do so in a way that uh, helps us uh, approach you and your things uh, with uh, the utmost joy and satisfaction. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Nathan, if you don't mind trying, I might just click the wrong button. I'm positive I didn't, but we'll see. Um, all right. Well, I want to uh, paint a few scenarios for you. We are talking about technology in the home. That's what we went over last week. And uh, we did more of an introduction. Like I said, I will do my best to kind of recap some of that uh, as, we, as we talk today. But I want to paint a few scenarios for you that are very realistic. Um, the first is this. Let's say you've got a little one at home, and they're watching some TV show. Maybe it's Bluey or something. If you don't know what Bluey is, you're seriously missing out. Even if you're like 60, just go find Bluey and watch it. It's, it's a great show. Right? Uh, Megan and I just sometimes watch it just for kicks. Um, not going to work. Um, so your kid's there. They want to watch an extra episode. All right, there they go. They start to watch an extra episode, and they say, Mom, Dad, one more. All right, is that a realistic scenario? Like every single time, all right? Sometimes I'm like, Bluey's kind of nice. Let's do another one, all right? Um, let's say you're there, and you're watching an episode on Netflix or something like that with your spouse, and you're like, it says, like, you got, like, five seconds to make a choice before it plays the next one. Oh, let's just watch one more. And then you get to that one, and you're like, oh, let's just watch one more. Is that a realistic scenario? Anybody ever done that? All right. Or let's say that your teenager comes home, and they say, Mom, Dad, everyone's using this new app. Um, can I use this? All right, is that a realistic scenario? You're like every two weeks, there's something new that's out like that. Or maybe for you, it's just like you've gotten into a pattern where every night for two hours, you just drink in a certain cable TV news show, and that becomes your dominant thought all throughout that next day. That's very realistic. People do that all the time. People spend 10, 15, 20 hours listening to that kind of stuff day in and day out. So these are the ways that technology is surrounding us all the time. And we have to make choices, right? Uh, you have to make choices on what you're going to do in those moments. We all have to do that, whether it's for ourselves, whether it's for our kids, our teens. And what you choose to, once you choose as your backdrop to make those choices makes all the difference. Here's how most of us realistically do that. In the moment, we either like take a pulse and say like, well, the kid's kind of whiny today. I'm going to let him watch one more bluey, right? Or you might say, well, I don't have that much going on tomorrow. I guess I'll just do this. We just basically make impulsive decisions based on what we feel like in that moment. Is that true? Is that how most of us interact with tech? And what I ended with last week, looks like we're going to not have this, sorry. But what I ended with last week 
was a plea for us to really positively push for something in our home. We ended last week talking about what is it that's at a core, the, what are the core characteristics of a Christian home that you want to build? It's much easier to actually move towards something as a family rather than just arbitrarily saying yes or no to things that come along your path. And so what I'm encouraging you to do is really to spend some time talking. And like I said last week, my goal, if there's one thing that comes out of this um, study, I hope it's that you or you and your spouse sit down and say, let's purposefully plan what are we going to make the center of our home? What are going to be some key characteristics in our home? And you really make that an aim of yours, a goal of yours. If we do that, then instead of making those arbitrary decisions, that's one option, we can instead be way more principalized in those moments. And even little kids understand those kinds of principles. Let's say, for instance, you say, you know what, in our home, we, your kids know that we use technology to bring us closer together. And we use technology, or, and we plan any kind of tech or entertainment we use. We're not, we're not going to engage in entertainment where we haven't planned it. And so you sit down with your five-year-old and you say, well, what do we plan to do today? You know what we say, that if we're going to watch something, we have to plan to do it first, and then we'll do it. Oh, we didn't plan to do it. We only planned to watch one. Well, then let's do what we planned. Your kid can understand that, and they do. And they're part of that decision. Then It's not you just, it's, it's not you just arbitrarily deciding. It's really a principle that you all have agreed on that then is making those decisions for you. Same thing for you yourself. In that same moment, there you are, and you say, you know what? I, I plan to only watch this one cable news show each night, and that's it. I'm not going to watch an extra one no matter how enticing the commercials look. And so that's what you decide ahead of time. Then rather than letting those decisions come and go as that you please, you're actually making more principalized decisions. Or maybe like I said, another one of your kind of tech goals is we use tech to bring us together. Well, a three-year-old can understand that, can't they? Say, well, you're over here by yourself watching this. What can we do that instead tries to bring us together? And maybe they might say, well, mom, what if you watch it with me? And then you say, Nice, nicely played, and then you sit down and watch it with them. That's okay, because you're actually teaching them to think rather than just arbitrarily saying yes or no. So it really is those kinds of decisions that make all the difference. We can just kill this. That's all right. Oh, yeah, I can do that. All right. Tech is a blessing. Sound booth. Apple TV. It's where it really pays to have an IT genius in, in the congregation. Well, that's what I want to encourage us towards, is that kind of thoughtful planning when it comes to using tech in our homes. I want us to have principalized approach to things so you're not just arbitrarily making decisions based on the whim of the day. Now, last week what we said is when we really have a, a commitment to building a Christ-centered home around certain important principles, then it, it guides us, and it guides us in all areas, but in particular with tech, it allows us to ask two important questions. One is how can this tech opportunity, how can this help what we're going after? And number two, how could it hurt what we're going after? So those are the two questions that we're going to be exploring over these next two weeks. What I want to do today is to try to encourage you with three principles, three distinct principles that I think will be a real help to us as we move um, through this study. I am going to give you some suggestions on how to apply these principles, but I think the commitment to these is going to be more important than your specific application of them. All right, well, why don't we... Um, kind of try to recap some of what we talked about last time um, by starting with this first one. And this is something I mentioned last time. The first principle I'd like to encourage you with is this, to create a culture of confession and forgiveness in your home. Now, you might be like, what? <laughs> How does this have to do anything to do with tech? Um, I mentioned last time, it's saying I'm unable to connect, so we'll just have to kill it. That's all right. Um, 
I will have it here. You guys are really, I can hold it up. Yeah, if you want to see that. Um, this encouraging a, a confession, uh, a, uh, a culture of confession and forgiveness in your home is super important when it comes to technology. Like we mentioned last time, technology isn't something that's neutral. People are behind it, and they're trying to push you and guide you certain ways. And inevitably, they're going to push at you in all sorts of ways that cause you to make missteps. Because you're human, and they're human. You've got two sinners involved in this, and you're bound to have sin as part of this. One of the reasons that parents especially are cautious when it comes to technology is because it is like handing your child a loaded weapon in many ways. The te technology, the internet itself, can be a huge benefit to you, but you also know how easy it is to stumble into something. Uh, I remember I was telling someone this last week when I was, I think I was 10 years old, I had my own Juno email address. Anybody remember those? Maybe some people still have them. I have my Juno email address. I think I like emailed like three people, but you know, I went to check it one day and I'm a 10 year old boy and suddenly just an open pornography ad is on my email at 10. And the first time I'd ever thought about it. Here I am sitting there, no action on my part was required. It's just sitting there. Now, many of us have stories just like that. And that's one of the reasons why we're so careful when it comes to technology. So this principle here, creating a home full of confession and forgiveness with this kind of a culture is super important because especially if you have children, they are going to fall into things. Sometimes it's just like that, of no use of their own. They didn't pursue anything at all. What you need is to have a home where they feel free to confess and forgive. There's a passage here that I had up on the screen, but let me read it to you. It's from Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Here's what happens if you create a home where secrecy and protecting yourself is one of the key environments. You train your children how to be very good at lying. Here's what happens in a marriage when you don't have a regular pattern of confession and forgiveness. Whether it's through the internet or some other struggle, when you fall into sin, the last thing you're going to do is confess it. And what you're doing is you're creating an environment in your home that's antithetical to the gospel. You're creating an environment, like we talked about last time, that, that assumes that I'm good and it's all the things outside me that are bad. But when instead you create an environment in your home with confession and forgiveness as a central key point, then what you're doing is you're opening yourself up for growth and change. So how might you encourage confession and forgiveness in your own home? Let me give you five things. And um, again, I apologize that these aren't up there. That would have been a lot easier for you to follow, I think. But number one, I would encourage you to, to rehearse the gospel to yourself daily. All right, what is the gospel but this? I am a sinner. I've sinned against God because of who I am all my life by both doing wrong things and not doing all the right things. In both ways, sinning by committing things and omitting things. But in spite of my sin, I came down to Christ, like Jesus says, and I realized that I was destitute in spirit. And I said to God, God, I have nothing. I have nothing but my sin, but you died for me and paid for my sin. And openly stepped out. And the whole entry point to the gospel is admitting that you're a sinner, that you do exactly what we're talking about today, that you, you sin. And then the gospel itself tells you this, that there is then forgiveness. If there's anyone who should be good at this kind of confession and forgiveness, it's Christian homes. 
And uh, the same certainly goes when it, it's especially goes when we come to technology. Here's what happens in people like the Apostle Paul when he rehearses the gospel to himself daily. You might say, well, like, yeah, if I rehearse the fact that I'm a sinner and that I need forgiveness and that Christ forgave me over and over again, it could lead to a bunch of pitfalls. I could either just indulge in sin and then ask forgiveness. Well, Paul talks about that in Romans 6. Or you might say, well, I might just wallow in my own sin and never get to forgiveness. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 speaks about himself as a sinner, the worst of sinners, he says. But what it does is it actually brings him to rejoice in God's forgiveness. So I'd encourage you to rehearse the gospel daily to yourself in your own home. Number two, to you yourself be quick to confess sin. I don't know about you, but I, can, I grew up in a home where my parents were eager and regularly uh, confessing their own sin to us. Constantly, my dad would come to me and sit me down and say, I dealt with you in anger, and that was wrong. Here's what God says about that. Would you forgive me? Now, if you want your children to do that, moms and dads, you have to be like that. If you want your spouse to do that with you, you have to create a culture like that. The opposite of that is exactly what Proverbs 28 talks about, concealing transgressions, hiding transgressions. So be quick to confess sin yourself. Thirdly, respond with grace when you're sinned against. Respond with grace when you're sinned against. Now, grace doesn't mean there's no consequences. Of course, deep sin often requires deep, deep consequences. And you usually can't escape those consequences, especially in real life, and it would be cruel of you to always just neglect consequences for your spouse or your children. But there is a way to respond with grace like Christ does when he doles out consequences, both being, as he often is, the one to actually chasten us and also being the one to comfort us when we come. Fourth, and this perhaps is especially true for children, is to reward confession. Just yesterday, um, Nora was downstairs and playing with a towel rack and ripped it off the wall. Well, kind of broke it, didn't really rip the whole thing off. And she came to Megan like this, shaking. And she said, Mom? <laughs> and she said, I broke it. And, and then Mom, Megan said, well, you need to go talk to Dad. So she came up to me, probably even more scared, and said the same thing. And in that moment, depending on how I respond, tells her what we do with confession and forgiveness. Now, were the consequences? Yes, she has money set aside for things just like that. All right, So we are going to take that money, and we're going to repair the, the wall. Um, that's why we have savings accounts so <laughs> for the children. Um, so there will be consequences, of course. But sitting down with her, Megan and I both said, thank you so much for telling us. You did the right thing. And then we talked about what would happen because of that. But how you respond when there's wrong done, whether accidental like that or something through technology, makes all the difference about how your children expect to be treated when they come to you. What you want to teach them is that it's actually confessing and forsaking sin that gets mercy. When you teach them when they come and they confess and they forsake, when you teach them that the result is that you'll get angry and bitter. When your husband comes to you and com communicates some problem he's had and you as a wife say, well, because of that, and then there's a whole week worth of pain for him, what you're actually treating him, telling him, showing him what to do is to hide his sin. When you as a husband respond by giving your wife a cold shoulder, when she comes to you with some sin on her heart, you're doing the exact same thing. It's actually how we respond to sin with each other that tra trains each other to treat each other with mercy 
when there's confession and forsaking. I'm not suggesting that if uh, you continually wrong your spouse that they can't ever do anything about it. I'm not suggesting that. You, you may need help from the outside. And you as a husband may need to get somebody else involved so that you're not regularly harming your wife in a way. Make sure that she has an outlet and vice versa. But the reality is that often our first responses, our gut reactions to those moments, tell us way more about what we think about ourselves and the gospel than we'd like to admit. Fifthly, and finally here, is to pursue each other actively when it comes to confession and forsaking, or and forgiveness. And this goes along with how you respond to being sinned against and how you reward confession. You know what happens? You can imagine maybe a, a time in your life where you did something like that and you broke something, or you hurt something, or you kicked a soccer ball through a window, as an example, um, and you go to your parents, and it's those next couple of days that really teach you. Maybe they forgive you in that moment, they respond well, but it's those next couple of days where you need extra input and care and love. That's really what I'm suggesting here when it comes to especially confessing and forgiving technology sins, is that we pursue our children, we pursue our spouses, we pursue those in our home with this kind of um, love. There was a, a dad I know who every month he goes and he's, he has a scheduled date with his kids. His kids are a little bit older. And every time the stated goal is you can ask me whatever you want or say whatever you want. And they just go for coffee or something like that. And he's like, usually it's an hour or two and they save up questions. And sometimes he'll ask them, is there anything that you've done this, this month that you want to talk about? And he said, believe it or not, because we've done that so repeatedly for so many years, almost every time my children are sitting there and they're saying, there's been something I did that's been eating away at me, and I, I want to tell you about it. Now, what, what's been created in that home but this kind of a culture? So when a child runs into trouble online, what you want is that child to come to you, right? You want that. You actually want confession and forgiveness. You want to be able to be there to guide them. I would even encourage you role-playing this kind of confession with your children, talking them through this. Maybe when it comes to this kind of confession and forgiveness, you think up an example, maybe something from your own youth, where you say, you know what, one time, dad went to a, a party with a bunch of friends, and they started playing a bad movie. And I didn't know what to do, and so I just sat there and I watched. But I never told anybody about it. I never got any help for that. What do you think we should do in that moment? Just talking that out with your children can actually put them in that mindset ahead of time where then they recognize it when they see it. But suffice it to say that this kind of home that's full of confession and forgiveness is a home where, the, where technology around you can be used well and, probably more importantly, can be used badly and then learned from. If you have technology in your life, and that's one of the things we talked about last week, is that it really is ubiquitous. What advancement in tooling or technology have we ever carried with us at all times? I mean, until now. What technology or advancement has been required to get any kind of job or any kind of be involved in society in any way? And yet this is the world that your children are stepping into. This is the world that you're in now. If your children are connected to this, if you're connected to technology, you will be tempted because of who you are to sin through it. So the important thing is to have a home where confession and forgiveness is central. Let me say one final thing before moving on. We'll be a little faster as we move through these next things. And that is that if right now as you listen, you say, you know what, I really am struggling. Maybe it's with something technology-related or something else. 
Maybe it's just mere deception or any other sin that's caught you in a trap. Can I just encourage you that if you're wondering, should I get help? The answer is yes. <laughs> it is. It really is. And I would encourage you just today to, to pull Pastor Greg, myself, Pastor Dom, anyone aside and say, hey, could I talk to you at some time this week? That's all you have to say. Just say, hey, could, I, could we get together? That's it. And then let's start the conversation. We've, we've One of the things that's really um, not been a blessing in our Western society is the way we silo our lives off from each other. We're very good at being individual homes, people, units, and we let people in when we kind of feel like it. One of the things that we lack in our general culture is this kind of investment in each other's lives where we can be genuinely open and transparent with each other. And I encourage you that if you don't have somebody like that right now, that you pursue that this week. I encourage you then, first of all, as the kind of first principle, is to create a home full of confession and forgiveness. But that's a regular pattern. Secondly, the second principle I want to encourage you with when it comes to using technology is to safeguard against your own heart. One of the pitfalls we talked about last week is that a lot of times we assume that we're good and it's the bad things outside of us, and especially that's the case when it comes to you and your kids. My kids are good, it's all their friends that are the problem. Um, well, if every parent's saying that, somebody's got to be the problem, right? And it's actually us, it's our own heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah talks about the sinfulness of the human heart, but it's beyond that. It's just our weaknesses. And one of the things that technology, especially social media and the Internet in general, plays to is our weaknesses. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus speaks about those weaknesses as he interacted with them. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. There's just certain tendencies to the human heart that are really... Um, amplified through technology and the use of technology. When it comes to these kinds of pitfalls, I want to encourage us to at least think in a few categories. And there are lots of ways that the human heart, whether because of sin or just our own weakness, you know, we're t we get tired, we get you know, lonely, we get lazy, we get all these kinds of things uh, that can be played on by technology itself. So you can think of pitfalls like time or energy or focus strains, or certainly like pornography, which we've talked about. Or simply endorsing sin for the sake of entertainment. Have you ever caught yourself actually rooting for somebody to do something that you knew was wrong in a movie? And you realize, like, it feels right in this moment. He should get revenge. You're actually training your heart how to think about those things. Or maybe just the selfish or self-promoting use of technology over serving other people. So safeguard against your own heart. And I'm going to, again, have five suggestions for you. And again, I apologize that these aren't up on the screen because that would be a little easier to, to track. One is that you would set up, especially in your own home, even if you say, I don't have kids, that you really would be careful to set up safeguards with parental controls. Now, there's kind of several different avenues for this. There's device-specific, and I'm not going to get into all the details because I'm going to share a link with you in a second here. There's device-specific that tracks your device. There's also um, like Wi-Fi-specific. You can actually set nets up in your Wi-Fi itself. Now, rather than sitting up here and telling you how to set up internet vultures, I have, because I did the website, I just threw up a page this morning real quick called fbcliberty.com slash tech. So if you're interested, you can look there. I have some things, and I'll be adding to that this week and next. Um, but I'd encourage you to set up some parental controls. The parental controls are a help. They are. But they only help in slowing down access. Uh, you're never going to find a, a safeguard that protects every single person in your home from anything they could ever see bad online. 
There are some that are better than others. There are some that don't just control websites, but actually scan images themselves and do an, an analysis on those images. Then you also have ways just to shut down things here. Even if it's just you and your spouse, um, and you have an iPhone, for instance, and some of this is on that site, you can just say, hey, turn off all adult content on my phone. And then to unlock it, your wife has to put in your password, her password, and vice versa. Something as simple as that may even just allow you to escape things like I saw when I was 10, where something pops up that you didn't need to see. So I would encourage you to set up some parental controls, knowing our, your own heart. That seeing sin and having an opportunity to engage in sin, like you and I do all the time, encourages you to step into that. Um, so again, I've got some resources up online. I'll let you look at that. It's just our website slash tech. So set up some parental controls. The second thing under this safeguarding against your own heart is to set some engagement boundaries. In other words, actually plan how you plan to use technology knowing your own heart. Now, I went to the doctor on Thursday. Have any of you been in a doctor's office recently, sat down and looked around? What does everyone do? They're on the phone, right? Every single person. In fact, I was talking with somebody in my home who's an adult this week. And I was telling her that I make it a point that whenever I'm in public, I refuse to look at my phone when I'm sitting somewhere. And she said, well, what do you do? Isn't that just creepy? You're like looking around at people? <laughs> so I understand some people would be less or more comfortable with this. But the point is that we're intentional in what we do. What you'll find if you don't look at your phone is that every single other person is. There was me and like a 90-year-old woman. And we were just like, what's up, in the doctor's office. I could tell she knew. She's like, that guy's not on his phone, all right? Um, but I'd encourage you just to have a plan for those kind of circumstances. When, when am I going to use technology? In other words, what we talked about last week where technology is just one of the things it highlights today is those little nudges where it's just always kind of roping you in, that you make plans for that. Now, some of you say, like, I never pull out my phone in public. I don't even have my phone with me half the time. I can't ever find it. So for you, it might be something completely different. Maybe for you, you say, you know what, I'm only going to listen to talk radio one day a week because it's dominating the way I think and talk. That's just as much of a danger as somebody pulling out their phone to play Flappy Bird or whatever the new game is. That was like five years ago. I don't know. I'm out of, I'm out of date. But the point is that you, you set engagement boundaries. When am I going to use technology? And you make a plan for that. Now, your plan will probably be different than mine and probably be different than my six-year-old's plan. But the point is that we should make intentional choices on these things. Because here's what technology today does. It's always there. It's always pulling. It's always ready for you. And if you don't plan for it, it will plan for you. And what you'll find is that suddenly you're entrapped in something where you're just like, that's your default. And if you don't believe me, I'd encourage you to take whatever you think your most used app is and change its position on your phone. Just try it for one day. What you'll find is whatever you put in its place is what you keep opening accidentally. Have you ever done this? You, you pull up from your phone and you open an app, you look at it, you shut it down, and then you open the app right away again, all right? This is a sign that you don't have, you haven't set up these kinds of safeguards, right? Because it's just your default, right? We're all like that. As Christians, though, above everyone else, we should recognize our own weaknesses. This is just, we're going to fall in these kinds of patterns if we don't make plans for them. So set some kind of engagement boundaries. In your home, it may be something like this. There's no TVs in the bedroom, no computers in the bedroom, no phones go to the bathroom. You might just set up those kinds of things. So setting up parental controls, set engagement boundaries. Third under the safeguarding your heart is to evaluate your entertainment. What I mean by this is 
what I talked about at the beginning, where you find yourself actually indulging in sin that you otherwise wouldn't agree to, but because the storyline is so compelling, here you are being drawn in. Sometimes just a simple research before you start watching shows or before you start engaging in a video game can say, let me objectively look at this and say, what, what, are, what are the things being taught? And then we're going to make a principal decision on that. Now, even in your home, let's say you have kids and they really want to play a certain game. You know that you can involve them in those kinds of decisions. Now, not always can you say, let me talk through this sex scene that's supposedly in this movie with you. You're not going to do that. But your children can't understand that, can't they? To sit down and say, now, what is it that this would be telling us? Or do you see what they're trying to promote through this? And sometimes with those kinds of conversations, you actually can engage in it, but now with open eyes. Or maybe you have an annoying, you had an annoying dad, like I probably am to my girls, where I stopped the movie and like, now, why do you think they said that? Or why, why are they doing this? Or why does that feel like the right thing to do, even though we know it's wrong? Just actually engaging in those kinds of things and evaluating entertainment, whether it's beforehand by researching or stopping the middle, especially being cautious when you find in your own heart cheering on active sin. Even though you might say, well, it's not sin for me to watch this, but once you start en engaging and saying like, yeah, I want him to get revenge, that's a good thing in this moment. You're actually, you are training your heart. Part of recognizing our own weaknesses, our own failures, our own sinfulness even, is evaluating that kind of entertainment. Fourth, and this would be to plan uh, social media. For some of you, again, this is a bigger deal than others. I'm not super active on social media, so this isn't one that I particularly struggle with. But a lot of times what happens is social media, if there's any part of our techno technological world right now that is really skilled at just pulling us in and pulling us in and pulling us in and you spend 30 minutes before you even recognize it, it's social media. That's what it's built on. It's built for that kind of engagement. There's, there's algorithms that intentionally serve up content that you didn't even know you wanted to be interested in. And suddenly there you are watching how to like roast your own chocolate. That's an inside joke for two people in this room, all right? Well, you should play in your social media. And what I mean by that is that you say like, I'm going to actually set aside time. Like every day from this time to this time, I'm gonna spend time looking at Instagram, at Facebook, at whatever your thing is, and then I'm gonna be done. Now, if you say like, I don't really wanna have to do that, I have a solution for you if you have an iPhone, all right? If you just come to me, I will send you a little shortcut. You set times, and whenever you open a social media app or any app that you don't want, it will close it for you immediately, all right? So I did this for Megan a while ago because she was like, yeah, I, I just want to use it between this time and this time. So I was like, perfect. So anytime she opens her phone or her social media app outside of those times, it just shuts it down. So it just kills it for you, and you can change it. But if you, uh, if you need help, I'm happy to do that for you. But you can use your phone to do that kind of stuff. Maybe you say, yeah, but I need social media to engage with my family. Well, then let me encourage you just to set up a private like WhatsApp with just your family or a photo sharing site with just your family. There's ways to engage in those kinds of things that's more purposeful and intentional. I fear that the danger in this is that second fear of danger I mentioned last time, which is just thoughtlessness. So my encouragement to you is part of safeguarding against your own heart is to actually plan out how you plan to use it. It's only those who say, like, I can control this that usually end up in the, in the zones that we're talking about today. Um, lastly here underneath, safeguarding your own heart. I would actually encourage you to do what I talked about a moment ago under the last category, which is to actually talk, especially if you have children, role-playing kind of, uh, these kinds of scenarios they're going to find themselves in. Whether it's a social media scenario, where they're tempted to speak back, um, or whether it's going to, like I mentioned earlier, going to a party with friends, 
talk through these kinds of things. Like, you're in this situation. You know your heart. What, what should you do in the, that? Talking your children through those, especially kids, is super helpful for them because they actually get to live it out beforehand. This is another way in which I think entertainment itself can actually really serve your home well. There's never going to be a show you watch that doesn't involve some kind of sin, whether it's just a little kid mouthing off to his parents or whatever. And those are training moments that your kid doesn't have to live through now if you use them that way. Those are training moments even for your own heart. Do a post-mortem on every show you watch. Like, really, stop the thing and say, before we watch the next episode, let's just think through that. Like, did you find yourself really identifying with this character, even though we knew he was wrong? Just call it out and then say, let's play the next episode. The thoughtlessness that technology encourages today can really be, can destroy us. And when it comes to safeguarding against your own heart, let me encourage you um, that it's not simply about neglecting certain things. Most of us fight lust only by setting up roadblocks to lust, or fight sin only by setting up roadblocks to sin. We'll put a, a filter on our internet, or we'll have some strict accountability system, but, and even though roadblocks are important factor to saying no to sin, the most powerful defense against lust is love. It's actually pursuing each other in the kind of home we talked about last week. Ultimately, we don't need some, we, what we realize, we don't need some cheap substitute. When we have what we're looking for here. When you create an environment where your children really feel cared for and appreciated and loved, they're not as pulled to online activities like that that they say, you know what, if I'm not a part of this, I won't be a part of this group. But what I do have at home is really special, and I'm not going to forfeit that for anything. I had a third one, but I think for the sake of time, I want to end with a conclusion, uh, with a, an illustration, and we'll end there today. The two I, we talked about today is creating a home full of confession and forgiveness, and two, safeguarding your own heart against, against uh, sin. Knowing your own weaknesses and knowing your own failures. There are two stories uh, that are told about the same body of ancient water. The first one is a sailor named Odysseus. Maybe you've heard of that story before. This man was returning home from the Trojan War, and he was passing through a particularly dangerous area of water. It was known to be dangerous because there were these bird-like siren women who would pull in sailors and then drown their ships. Well, he knew about this and decided to protect himself. And so what he did is he had his men tie him to the mast because then he could still enjoy their song while protecting himself from certain doom. I fear a lot of times that's what we end up doing when it comes to technology in our home. We want to set up just enough safeguards where we can still get all the pleasure we want and just kind of cap ourselves. The problem is you can't stop the tech. It doesn't matter what filter you set up. It doesn't matter how many rules you set in place for yourself. If you're not vigilant and talking regularly as a family and updating the way you talk about tech all the time, you're going to find yourself eventually breaking free from that or your children breaking free from that. There's another sailor who passed through the same area. His name was Jason of the Argonauts. And Jason passed through the same waters, and he knew of the same dangers. But what he did is he brought along somebody named Orpheus. Orpheus had a lute, and he sang beautifully. And Orpheus, he said, when we get near that area, I want you to play the most beautiful song you've ever heard. And that's what happened. All the men on the deck there 
sailing through the area, not tied down, not restricted in any way, and the siren songs began. But so did Orpheus's playing and his singing. And according to the poet, the men on the ship were safe and safely passed through because they heard something more beautiful than the sirens. That's what I'm encouraging you to do in your home. That when it comes especially to how you, how you protect your home, that what you need to do is not so much say no to a bunch of things and be the no king or the no queen in your home. What you need to do is you and your spouse or you and your family is to say, you know what, what we're going to do, or even you as a single person, say, I'm going to create the kind of home environment that I wouldn't dare mess up with something cheap like this cheap substitute. And if I do, I would run for forgiveness because I know forgiveness would be there waiting for me. What we need to do is create the kind of home environment that has a more beautiful sound than all the allures of the world where suddenly what somebody says to you on Facebook isn't a big deal. It's really fine because of what you have at home. What I'm encouraging then is this kind of purposeful use of technology, recognizing our own sinfulness today. Especially moving into next week, what I want to do is then talk about the positive side of how to use tech. We've talked about these two, creating a home of confession and forgiveness and safeguarding against our own homes, our own hearts and our homes. Next week, what I want to do is really turn our attention to how we might be able to use technology to really build that kind of environment. And uh, let's pray that God helps us do that as we move forward. All right, let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. God, thank you so much for the time together we've had this morning. I pray that you would help us to, above all, to be intentional and purposeful. We know the fickleness of our own hearts, and we're not deceived by the fact that we think we might be good. Your word tells us otherwise. And yet we know that with your help, we really can create these kinds of environments in our own homes, whether it's just us by ourselves or us and a spouse or us and kids. I pray that you would help us to pursue this kind of love amongst each other, amongst each other in a way that promotes um, the kind of home that you want to see built. We pray all of this in Christ's name.